Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Birth Stories with me, Clemmie Hooper, created by Offscript. Just to warn you, this episode contains discussions about stillbirth. We've probably been talking about it for a while, kind of even probably before we got married, but it was a year after we got married. We thought, okay, let's give it a go. Let's see how, how we get on started trying I guess the beginning of that year and we fell pregnant actually about four months later I actually had an ectopic pregnancy rushed into hospital and had emergency surgery and lost one of my fallopian tubes and then we conceived again I think it was about another four months later I had a bit of morning sickness I really didn't struggle that much I look back and I have mixed feelings I guess I'm really I have happy memories of that time. Um, and then, you know, maybe if I'm having a bad day, I'd want to go back and punch that person in the face and just say, you have no idea. You have no idea what, what's around the corner. I'm Clemmie Hooper, and welcome to Birth Stories, a podcast where I talk to amazing women about the fascinating and unique ways they had their babies. I'm a midwife and a mother of four, and I also run a blog called Gas in Air, where women share their stories of childbirth. Today's guest is clinical psychologist Michelle Tolfrey, who co-founded psychology practice Talking Heads, which offers a range of talking therapies across London. Michelle, thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Um, We've actually met before. We have. I presented you with an award at the Tommy's Baby Charity. You did, yeah, two years ago. And... um, I actually work at the hospital where you had Orla. Yeah. And um, yeah. we'll be talking a little bit about your midwife, who I know well. Yes, who's also called Michelle. I know, Michelle <laughs> and Michelle. <laughs> Hi, Michelle, if you're listening. <laughs> so um, you've talked a little bit about your pregnancy and yeah. obviously you had your ectopic um, pregnancy. I did. Were you worried about then trying to conceive again? Were you worried about you know statistics and chances and things I was but weirdly I mean this goes to show how little we know about our bodies so when the surgeon came he came and drew some pictures about what he was going to do (laughs) and he's like oh but your fallopian tubes move around they're not attached to your ovaries isn't that amazing I was like what (laughs) that it grabs the egg yeah I know. So, I think that is the most m- weird and magical thing. I mean, it's, yeah, it really blew my mind. Because I guess I was assuming that, okay, well, then my fertility is down to 50%. Mm. But actually, that's not true because you can, if you've still got both ovaries, you could still ovulate from either side. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it, it was definitely on my mind, but I was kind of less worried than uh, maybe I had been when I first realised that I'd probably lose a tube. And um, you had a really straightforward pregnancy, it sounds. Yeah, I mean, it was everything that I guess I hoped pregnancy would be. Um, doing lots of preparation. I did a hypnobirthing course. I yeah, did the NCT course as well. I went to so much pregnancy yoga. It was like my addiction. And yeah, I was still working actually up until I went into hospital to have Orla. So I was one of those annoying people that 
was just yeah getting on with life and really enjoying it and getting quite excited for birth actually which yeah I mean obviously it didn't go how I thought it was going to but um I'm glad that I I was able to you know not be too caught up in the worry of what might happen obviously I I look back and I could see sort of how um I you know I was big and I was bloated towards the end but yeah I just I just really enjoyed I enjoyed the whole process when did you start to suspect or you said before that you had a feeling that something wasn't quite right? Mm. Are you all right to talk about that? Mm, mm. I think it was it was the weekend that I ended up going into hospital. I, I, I think I just kind of didn't feel quite myself. And I think it's quite hard when you feel like that and you can't really pinpoint it on anything because you feel like you don't really want to bother anyone by just mm. saying, I just feel a bit weird. I felt a bit tearful. I think I was just a bit, um, uh, yeah, I mean, looking back, probably movements had started to reduce, but, you know, it hadn't been so dramatic that I was really concerned about that. I just kind of didn't feel myself. And did you go in for a checkup at that point? I didn't. I was the, to about a day later, that's when I really noticed that movements had changed and really slowed down. So that was when I went into hospital. Um, and that was like a Sunday, late Sunday afternoon when we went in. So asked to be seen by a midwife just to be checked out. And had you, you were, you um, were caseloaded by a team of midwives, weren't you? I had was, you yeah. contacted, we still use a very old fashioned pager system. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd done that. So I'd phoned the, the pager system yeah. and uh, the midwife on call had called me back. Um, we'd had a quick chat and she just said, look, just, just pop up. It'll be fine. You know, just go up, get checked, just go and reassure yourself. And you know, I, I was a, a very low risk pregnancy. I'd had everything was all within sort of normal ranges. I'd had a thirty six week scan just a few days before yeah. that had been absolutely perfect. So, you know, I, I, I can see why we would have thought, yeah, it'll just be a case of just going up and being told, don't worry, everything's okay. So, how many weeks are you at this point? Thirty seven, exactly, on the on Sunday. Yeah. So you went up to Labour Ward. I did. And then what happened next? So we were taken into one of the, I guess they're triage rooms, aren't yeah. they? Um, and it was a midwife who took me in and she'd said you know, all the same you know, normal things like urine sample, um, you know, had a bit of a feel around and tried to pick up the heartbeat with, I think initially with the, the handheld Doppler. Mm-hmm. And was kind of clearly struggling with that. So then used the, the big um, pads for the yeah. CTG monitor yeah. um, and again I, I guess I knew that she was struggling to pick something up and mm-hmm. I still uh, I guess at that point still hadn't put two and two together what that might mean but I was aware that she she was quite quiet and she I, and I I guess now on reflection I can see that she probably was getting quite anxious. Was your husband with you? He was he was he was kind of sat on the other side of the room um, yeah I think we were sort of pretty quite clueless about what yeah, what what could potentially well we were we, we didn't realize that this could happen um so then she left and just said oh, i just need to go and get a doctor to come and um help and just get the um ultrasound monitor mm-hmm. so she came back with the doctor and the the sort of, they wheeled in the monitor and started scanning um and i just remember i just remember looking over at the screen and thinking mm, this doesn't this doesn't look good. Um, I don't. I think when you've had quite a few scans, mm. you know, you know that babies tend to be quite wriggly and there's lots kind of going on. And I just, you know, it was just 
very still, very, it was like a, more like a photograph than like, than what it should be, like a video. Um, and I just, at that moment, turned my head. I just remember the bed's right next to the wall. I remember turning to look at the wall, thinking I don't, I don't want to look at this anymore because I feel like the ground is just going to give way in a minute. I think, I think something really bad is going to happen. And I just remember her turning off the monitor and putting her hand on my leg and just saying, I'm really sorry. Um, and yeah, that was, that really is the, the sort of the moment, I guess, that everything changed. Mm. So the doctor obviously <clears throat> broke the completely mm. devastating news that um, your baby had died. Mm. I mean, this is every parent's worst nightmare. Mm. There is nothing that prepares you for this. There no. is no discussion in your antenatal classes. There is no discussion with your midwife. No. This is the worst possible thing that can happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, time must have just stood still and raced past. I mean, it's... it's it is odd. It's this weird... Because your mind starts racing. I, like, I've never experienced anything quite like it where, mm. like, the thoughts that were racing through my mind, I felt so out of control. I felt that I just couldn't... I think from the outside, I looked quite calm. Mm. Um, you know, I found it quite difficult where I read other people's stories and they say that they, you know, they were able to scream and kind of let all their emotion out. I'm quite the opposite and I sort of really close in right. and go very quiet. And, um, you know, I didn't cry and I didn't... Well, maybe I did cry, but I'd certainly it wasn't it wasn't a huge. I think I was just so shocked. Yeah. It was just um, I, I felt more frozen than anything. Mm. Um, but yeah, thoughts racing, and it's this weird like the world is kind of moving around you, and you're suspended in this weird parallel universe that you didn't expect to be in. What conversations then did the doctor, obstetrician, and midwife then have with you about? What would happen next and your options? It's an odd one because it's sudden. I felt like suddenly there were lots of people in the room. Really? And there was lots of talk of go home, pack a bag, come back. We're going to start induction this that evening. Day. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting now because so now having spoken to lots of other people who've actually been left for a few days before starting induction, I didn't feel that that was given to me as an option. I felt like it was, right, that's it. We've got to get this baby out. And Do you know yeah, why? No, no, I don't. Because then I think, oh, maybe maybe there was a medical reason that they wanted that. Um, but maybe not. I don't I don't know. Mm. It, was, it was kind of an odd. But I do remember saying, oh, what do you mean? I've got to give birth. I, I suppose I genuinely thought, surely you're just going to put me to sleep. Yeah take this baby away um please don't make me do this this is not what I signed up for this is not what I expected and um how on earth can you expect me to go through what I imagine is going to be a very physical tough experience to at the end of it not take a baby home like how how can you expect me to do this I think then there was a lot of talk of it will be better for you Mm. in the long Longer term, if you want to go on to have more children, you know, the caesareans carry risks. And, and, you know, I do understand all of that. But this was all being told to me within the space of half an hour of me being told that my baby had just died. So I was like, I don't give a shit really what, you know, what the long term thing is. All I can think about is in this moment, I don't think I can do what you're asking me to do. Mm. Um, 
but it did feel it felt a little bit like there, that wasn't an option so yeah. I did kind of go off with um, li- I suppose almost a little bit of my tail between my legs of I feel like I don't have any choice here really I don't know whether I, if I'd pushed back it would have been different but and actually you know looking back I'm glad that things went the way they did mm-hmm. but obviously in that moment you're just so powerless you're so powerless and so vulnerable yeah so did you go home I mean presume you probably already packed your hospital bag I mean I hadn't oh I hadn't <laughs> I think the sad thing is that and I look back and this this is I feel this is quite a sad and poignant memory is that that was the day that I'd kind of felt able to wash all the baby's clothes and start mm. getting ready. So we went home and there's all of these clothes like laid out on the clothes dryer. Mm. Um, and I just, you know, they always said, oh, you know, bring bring an outfit for, for your baby. Oh. And you just think, well, which one do you choose? Because this is, the, you know, they're only going to need one. Um, and, yeah, sort of picking something and it's still damp because I've just washed it. Oh. And, yeah. It, that was a very tough evening. Um, it was, again, nothing how I imagined packing my hospital bag to be. It was a case of just rushing around, getting some clothes for me, um, some clothes for Andy, an outfit for the baby, and then just mm. heading in. Um, so did you come back on the Monday? No, I came back Sunday night. You came back that same yeah. night. Yeah, so they started the induction at about, it was probably about 11pm or something by the time they gave really? me the pessary. yeah. So they gave you a pessary. Were you offered pain relief straight away? I mean, it wasn't so bad that I felt that I needed anything. But I think there was a discussion of whatever you want, you can have. Mm. Um, But at at that time, I didn't feel like I needed anything. And then did anything happen overnight or did you manage to sleep? I mean... Oh, were you given yeah. your own room? You had yeah, part, yeah. Own single room, yeah, yeah, of course. So we had our own room um, and, I mean, it was very broken sleep. It of wasn't course. proper sleep. Um, and I think I think the pessary did start working. I did start contracting, um, but it was very slow and steady. It wasn't um, full-blown labour. It was just mm. the sort of rumblings of it starting. Um, but the sleep, the lack of sleep was much more about oh my god what's happened yeah um so yeah so that was a sunday night and then my midwife arrived on monday morning so she'd basically when when all this had happened i I then phoned back my midwife team and spoke to the midwife on call who wasn't my midwife um who was you know just so lovely and Mm. then she immediately called my midwife who then immediately called me back on her day off on her day Mm. off um and just said i will be there tomorrow or the most tearful (laughs) Yeah, she was like, I'll be there. I'll How be did there that tomorrow. make you feel, knowing she would come in? It was just knowing that someone who knew me was just going to be there, you know, to make you feel safe. Yeah. Um, I don't know how other people get through this without without a Michelle. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. So Monday comes, obviously mm. you've had hardly any sleep mm-hmm. and you've still got to get into proper labour so yeah. the way the pessary works as you now know it's to soften your cervix yeah. Yeah. to get you uh, favourable I hate using that word in midwifery terms so then did they try and break your waters they didn't actually I I think I was progressing so they kind of left me to keep progressing and oh gosh it, it was a long day I think I, it just kind of was getting more and more intense 
through the day. The, the pessary did work quite well, but I think it got to, it was late afternoon and I was like, actually, I'm really tired now. And I'd been trying so hard to use all the hypnobirthing things, but actually because so much of it is about getting into the zone and using certain, I guess, affirmations and mm -hmm. things, they felt so beyond what my experience was that they just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't calm my mind. I couldn't, um, you know, those affirmations of I'll soon meet my baby, I take on a different meaning when it's like, I'm going to meet do. my baby and my baby's going to be dead. Um and so, so I, I think it was, yeah, late afternoon, I then asked for, um, what do you get injected in your bum? Pethidine or dimorphine? I think it was pethidine. I think I had that. Mm. Um, I think then I had the drip to get the contractions going the a bit more. Yeah. So I had that. And when I had that, then I'm like, right, that's it. I want all the drugs. Yeah. So then I had the amazing dimorphine where you can like, you know, self-administer. Yeah. Which, <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Really? That, I mean, my pupils were like pinpricks. Were you high as a kite? <laughs> I was, the hospital food was the best food I'd ever eaten in that moment. I was like, Andy, you've got to try this stuff. It's great. And he was just thinking what on earth has happened. Um, it's some weird that you could have felt some euphoria yeah, and happiness yeah. in such a traumatic time. There's definitely moments in that where there, there was kind of laughter and smiling yeah. and um, it it was this weird kind of bubble that we were in in that room. Yeah. Um, I went into that room on Sunday evening and I didn't leave until Tuesday morning. Mm. And yeah, it, I think it, there, there are moments of kind of light, lightness within within that day. But yeah, it was the, I, by that point I was like, yeah, give me all the, give me all the drugs. And at any point in your labour, did you ask your midwife or did you talk to her about you know, what all it might look like and what mm, to expect. Yeah. Because that's something, whenever I look after women who have had a loss, I really try to encourage because sometimes I think, and this is a very natural thing, as a human, you think the worst and you think mm, horror. Yeah. And actually, babies are so beautiful mm, and perfect. Mm. And I know some parents don't want to see their babies yeah. because they're so fearful of how they may look. And actually, yeah. the reality is that they're just... They just look just like, like babies. Yeah. 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 We did. We did. Uh, I suppose there's a lot of time when you're having an induced labour. There's a lot mm. of time, isn't there, sort of waiting and sitting around. So we had, we'd been given, um, Michelle came in and gave us all the leaflets from Sands. Mm -hmm. So for any listeners, um, Sands is the um, stillbirth and neonatal death charity, which provide um, support um, and also lots of as you discuss information leaflets, um, mm. helping you kind of make those really difficult decisions yeah. on what to do when yeah. your baby's died. So there's like really good information there about um, things you can do with your baby to make memories, um, and then other things like how to plan funerals and mm. stuff that you know. Is, I think it was very helpful to read that during that time, but mm. it's also just sometimes you're reading, it, you think, "What on earth is my life right now? Mm. What, what am I doing?" Um, but yeah, because I, I, I guess because I knew Michelle and I trusted her, I could say, like, I'm, I am really scared about of course. seeing my baby. What happens if I don't like them? What happens if I don't love them? Mm. Like, how, how am I going to feel any connection to this baby when I don't? You know, I'm, I'm scared of seeing them. I, I'm very scared. I was, and I think I was also just so scared to touch my bump after I found yeah. out that she died because it's a very horrible, I guess, sensation where. When you're full term, you're big and it's mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, you, your baby's kind of very there. If you touch them, they just kind of bounce back. 
I found that very traumatic, actually. Yeah. Um, so it was very hard to then feel scared of my own bump, my own baby. And Your own body. Yeah, you just feel, and, and then you just feel awful for that. Like, oh, how, how, what kind of mum am I to feel mm. this way? It's, um, I'd certainly got into that cycle of real beating myself up about. Already. Yeah. How, I mean, how did this happen? This is my fault. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a time of lots of kind of, yes, yeah, self-criticism and blame. Mm. For me, anyway, it was. So then the epidural finally was given to you on the yeah, Tuesday, Monday night. Monday night. So, yeah, I'd had all the other drugs and then I think even that kind of yeah. just wasn't touching the sides and my mind had just, I just, I think I'd kind of lost it really. I, I, I had no focus. I couldn't get into a rhythm. I couldn't... Um, yeah, I just couldn't breathe through that anymore. So I just said, look, give me the, the epidural. I think also because the um, syntocin, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's quite intense, isn't very, it? Very, very. So the, con- you know, the contractions were big and they were strong. And I was just like, no, I'm, I'm too exhausted. So then the um, epidural came. Did you then get some relief? Yeah, I actually decided to try and get some sleep, actually. Yeah. Because I know I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't anywhere near ready to... To push, so do you know yeah. how many centimeters you? I were? can't remember actually. I've got a feeling it was somewhere around four or five. So it wasn't still had a bit still of a way, quite a way off. So I tried to have a sleep. I think Andy had a bit of a sleep on the floor. Michelle went off to have a sleep, and because they'd been through the day, other midwives had joined and gone. Sort of some from the great the relief each other. Yeah, but they were all really kind. They were really kind. And they, I was never left on my own. There was always someone kind of there. Um, and yeah, so we tried to get a bit of sleep, and then before I tried to get some sleep, they they broke my waters as well. Right. After I'd had the epidural, um, which was quite, I mean that was quite the shock. There was so much, there really? was so much, and I think I think even the midwife who because I think Michelle was sleeping at that time, even the midwife who did it was like that. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of water right. there. Um, and there was meconium mm. in the water, which they said look, that may have been after she died. I, you know, that's yeah. quite common. Um, but you know, maybe it was there before. Maybe she'd been distressed and that mm. had been... We, I guess we'll never know. Um, How did that make you feel? It's always just quite hard to think about, gosh, was she in distress mm. in those last few hours? Um, and that's I mean, it's a very painful thing to have to live with as a mum. Yeah, But... I think by that point in that moment, I was just like, oh, I'm so tired. This is just so awful. Can someone just put me to sleep? Um, mm. So, yeah, you water's just broken. Over. You do, you do. Well, it's a weird thing. You do and you don't. Because it's like, yeah. while I'm in labour and this is happening, I can pretend that this is not real. I can pretend that, oh, actually, maybe she's going to come out. At that point, I didn't know whether she was a she. But that this is all just going to be a big dream Mm. um so it was a real i want this over but i don't because i don't really know what's on the other side of yeah this moment so obviously you get fully dilated yeah and you start pushing yeah i remember this but the the midwife was with me he's like you know you can start if you want i was like no i'm not starting until michelle's back (laughs) and she's like but it might take a little while so she and i was like no no no, i'm not starting until she's here (laughs) (laughs) i was like because i think i was just so scared that it might happen quickly and then she wouldn't be there i really wanted her there and then obviously when michelle did come back it i mean it took a long time i was do you remember how long you were pushing for so i've got a feeling that i might have started pushing around four or five a.m. and she wasn't born until about half seven right it was 
I found that really quite brutal. I thought it was, felt long. And maybe it wasn't even that long, but... It if, may well have been. Yeah, it was. It felt hard. And I think I think Michelle was saying this, actually. Um, you know, when a baby is alive, they're working with you. You're doing this together. When your baby's died, you have to do all the work. Yeah. They're not helping you out at all because no. they can't. And I think there was a point where I, th- I think we we're just thinking, is this going to happen? Are we going to need any kind of help or intervention and I know that they were all very reluctant to do that because the trouble is if you do that with a baby who's died then they can't bounce back from any injury that may yeah. be caused um so I don't even know whether that was kind of discussed or but anyway that gave me the final kind of push yeah. to just all right that's it, I'm doing this and she was born at oh yeah about half past seven on the Tuesday morning and when she was born, obviously Michelle, your midwife, was there. Mm. Had you discussed whether you wanted her skin to skin? Did you want yeah. all the things? I guess if she was alive, I was too scared. Yeah, I was. Re- I was. Too, I was too scared. And it makes me feel. I do feel. I, I feel guilty for that, but then I also feel, and I and I don't at the same time because I have I have developed a deep compassion for the person I was in that moment who was actually someone very vulnerable of course um so I just said can you take the baby away and kind of maybe get them wrap them up or something Mm -hmm. because I don't I don't feel ready to see them straight away um but I just remember kind of lying there and gripping onto the bed and just thinking I just I don't want to open my eyes Mm. because I don't want this to be over I want it to be over and I don't. And I'm just too scared. What happens if I open my eyes and see something that is just going to finish me off? Yeah. So I just remember having my eyes squeezed shut mm. and um, Michelle sort of taking, taking baby into the, the little kind of room next to, mm. next to where we were. And I just remember her calling out and saying, do you want to know? Do you want to know what you've had? Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, you've had a little girl. Yeah. It's just sad, isn't it? Because it's just not, not what you imagined. It's not how I imagined finding out. But it's a it's a nice memory. It's um, the way even you described how Michelle shared mm. what gender your baby was. You've had a little girl. Yeah. You know, in the darkest of moments, even she could find this amazing thing you you know yeah. your baby is yeah. a girl not was she yeah. is you yeah. know you have a daughter you have a little girl and you know then I just remember saying oh she's beautiful and um do you want me to bring her through now and and where at this point was Andy very much just your husband just yeah. with you yeah yeah so he was he was next to me um and yeah I just remember him saying oh well done well done <laughs> you did it yeah and I just I suppose because there was another midwife there from the team who um, I don't know whether she'd done it at that point or afterwards or taking hand and footprints and mm. um, but I just yeah I remember her being brought through to me wrapped up in loads of towels and with just her face showing yeah just her face showing um, and I think her little, her little hands were sort of poking out what did she look like she just looked really peaceful and um she just looked like she was sleeping. She was covered in loads of um, vernix. Oh, was she? Oh, like she had so much. Like she was very, very kind of covered. So um, vernix is that creamy 
supposed to be the world's best moisturiser. The yeah. baby's skin is covered in a neutro, so it keeps, because they live in water, yeah. keeps their skin not from really being dry. Yeah. And um, especially babies that are a little bit early, you'd expect them to be covered, covered in, yeah. it's very sticky and white. Yes, it was very, yeah, very thick. Did you hold her at that point? Yeah, yeah, so then I had her and... Um, I think I had the injection to deliver the placenta and all of that sort of was, I felt like that, a lot of that was kind of going on around me and, mm. and I couldn't move that much because I'd had yeah. the epidural, so I'd had a catheter and, um, but yeah, I just remember sitting up in bed and being able to hold her and... Did you talk to her? Yeah, there was just lots of, yeah, I suppose just lots of looking and stroking and cuddling and... Um, and Andy had a hold. And, but the, I think the thing that I'm really grateful for, for Michelle as well, is that she really encouraged me to open up all the towels and just look at all of her and to take photos of all of her. Um, Are you really glad you did that? So glad. They're not photos that I share with anyone. No. Um, they're really personal. Of course. But there's something so... Like, she was real. And yeah. it's, I think sometimes you kind of... If you only see their face or you've got... I guess we have lots of like black and white photos as well. and But these are full colour photos of her whole body, of me sort of holding her and her whole body. And I'm just like, no, she's a she's a whole person, a real person. She yeah. existed. And um, I'm so glad I have those photos. Yeah. Um, at what point did you give her her name? Had you already picked names for girls and boys? I'm sure you probably discussed yeah. names at length in pregnancy. We do, yeah, we had a few different ones. We decided really quickly, actually. Like, I oh, think, Yeah, we'd we'd had a sort of various like long lists of names and it, it hadn't been decided completely. But I think we just sort of felt that this feels like a really good name for her. Um, so, What does it mean? It means Golden Princess. It's an Irish name. Oh. Um, and, yeah, it just, I don't know, it just felt right I don't know I, I, people say that don't they and they, oh, they look like a so and so yeah Just, I think you do know don't you yeah I think so and did you have the opportunity to spend as much time as you and Andy needed with her we we did I think this is this is a tricky thing that I have very kind of mixed emotions about I guess so we were taken then from the labour ward down to actually it was I guess I think it's the antenatal ward mm. And they had a side room there, but it wasn't a bereavement suite. Mm. So I do have, I, I mean, I do feel quite cross about that. I do feel cross that the hospital didn't have a bereavement suite. I did, I didn't know that existed until sort of subsequently. Now I'm very kind of involved in the lost community. I I do know that there are some amazing resources out there. But so being put in this side room and whilst it's slightly separate, you can see out into the main ward. So you can see lots of women walking around who are pregnant and that's actually very distressing. And the room is hotter than the sun. Mm. There were no cold cots at that time. So, you know, I, I often find like it's hard to sort of talk about this because I think oh, I don't want to distress people, but this is the reality. But, you know, when you have a body that is no longer alive mm-hmm. and you put them in a really hot room, they start to change and deteriorate yeah. very quickly. And that's that's quite upsetting in that I felt that our time with her was limited because of that. Mm. It was just too distressing to see her change so quickly. So we went down to that room probably about, I don't know, 9am. And by 5pm, we were like, I think it's time that we need to go. And there was no rush. We could have stayed as long as we wanted. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel... The option was that that she kind of gets taken away and put somewhere cool 
for a while and then come back. And as a mum, you know, you're being separated from your baby, yeah. knowing that they're not, you know, they're not going somewhere else to be cared for. They're going somewhere to be cooled. Yeah. Um, that was just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do that. So, mm. um, yeah, I got sort of 5pm and I was just like, I think we, we, we both agreed that it's probably time to go. Were you given the opportunity to dress her or did your midwife do all of that? So, yeah, I, I had no experience with babies before I had her. I, you know, I had no idea sort of how to do anything and I felt so anxious that I was going to damage her in some mm. way. And I'd really regret now not being involved in that. I kind of think, oh, I wish maybe I'd given her a bath or I'd taken the opportunity to dress her. And But I just, in that moment, I couldn't. Mm. I just I just couldn't do it. And then you decided to go home. Yeah, we decided to go home. Which must just be the most difficult experience to leave a hospital without your baby. Mm, it's it's just, I mean, it's just surreal. I think it's those small things that people would never even, you would never know unless you'd been there. But you know, the, you're in a room with your baby and the two options are you hand your baby over to someone else for them to take them away. Mm. And you're in that moment, I guess you're not sure whether you're ever going to see them again. In the mortuary, you mean? Yeah, yeah. That you just think, oh, like, is, is this it? Is this the final moment? So you just think, well, do I hand them over or do I leave them in the room and, and walk out of the room? And both of them, I mean, it's just an impossible decision. Which one is the best? Like, they're <laughs> both horrific. They're both just horrendous. I think we decided in the end that we, I needed to give her to someone to, mm. to feel like I was passing over the care of her to someone else I couldn't walk out of that room and leave her like it just felt like I was abandoning her mm. yeah that it was that was a pretty horrific moment actually so the midwife you handed all to the midwife yeah and she took her and she took her and you know they're, they're all the midwives are just they they treated her with such respect and care and dignity and and whilst you kind of know that oh, there's so little, there's so little that you can do, but those small things are massive. Of course, they're huge. Mm. So after um, you decided to give Orla to one of the midwives yeah. and leave the hospital, um, obviously one question and decision that would have been very difficult for you and your husband to make was whether or not to have a post-mortem, yeah. which yeah. is when they carry out um, extensive testing mm -hmm. on um, all parts of the baby to mm. see possibly why mm. and how this happened. What mm. what was your sort of decision-making around that? It's such an odd one because you just... It's such an odd decision to make. We desperately needed to know that we'd exhausted all avenues in terms of finding out what had happened. Um for our own sort of peace of mind but also just thinking about if we were to have another baby this you know would this happen again could this happen again but the thought of handing over your baby to be you know essentially sort of take uh, in the most kind of graphic terms but taken apart mm. was just felt it just felt too much and we were really lucky that we had an option of having a um i actually don't know what the technical term is but like a non-intrusive post-mortem oh, right. they do them at great ormond street hospital oh, right. so we actually opted for that um yeah I, 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 we'd been prepared from that moment that we were told that 
um, that she died, that there probably wouldn't be an explanation. Right. Because I was low-risk pregnancy, that there had been no other signs. I'd had a scan a few days before. And, it, yeah, it came back and said there was there was no known cause. Right. Um, which is, it's like a double-edged sword. Mm. It's a relief, but it's also just quite um, traumatic to think, well, but how does this happen? How do babies just die and there's no cause? Although I like to think that there's a, there there is a cause we just don't know what that is because it's it's very hard to understand and check what's going on when it's inside of you. So, yeah, um, yeah tough decision, but I'm I'm glad we made that decision. How then and now continue into your you know your journey? I guess how do you find you know space and time to keep all as memory alive? It's a, I mean, it's such a tricky balance because life does kind of continue and you yeah. have to find a way to continue living your life um, alongside your grief and everything that you've been through. And also now that we're parenting after loss, we've had another baby. Obviously, babies that you take home are quite um, time consuming and yeah. all consuming. <laughs> and um, so I think that that is parenting after loss is a whole other uh, it's a whole other podcast. It's, I mean, mm. it's, it's a very big, um, kind of complicated journey, I think. Um, but we we talk about Orla a lot. She has, you know, her photos are up around the house. Things like her handprints and footprints are. Um, one thing I do every single day without fail is I write her name in the steam of the shower every day, every single day. And it just feels like it's that just one moment in that you know even if I don't have lots of thoughts about her through the rest of the day there's one moment in every day that I connect with her and that feels just important to me mm. um and I, I over time I've learned not to I don't beat myself up for not doing lots of stuff but she's she's always there she's I mean she's part of me so mm. she gets weaved in at different times mm-hmm. and now our other daughter knows her name and will say her name and go up to her photo and stroking her ah 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 all her which is really nice. Each week, my guests and I take a question and try to answer it together. You're ready, Michelle? I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. I'm pregnant with my second child, a boy, and I'm so excited to meet him, but absolutely dreading giving birth. I found my daughter's birth three years ago was hugely traumatic. The doctors were worried about her heartbeat and had found some meconium, so I had to have an emergency section. And then she was taken away by the baby doctors, so I wasn't allowed to see or hold her for a long time. I just wanted to be reassured that the same thing won't happen again, but I know it's out of my control. What can I do? Oh, Big question. A tough one. Yeah, yeah. So sorry you had such a traumatic birth. That's horrible. That sounds really horrible. Really horrid. I mean, for me, I think. It was just really important to be able to have those conversations with my midwife kind of from the beginning Mm -hmm. about these are my worries um, and what can we do together? Because you're not in it on your own. I think it's really important to know that you're not definitely doing this by yourself. Yeah. And no one expects you to. Yeah. You don't need to be, you know, I can do this. Yeah, yeah. You've you've got a team because we care. Yeah. You need that team in birth. Exactly. One of the things actually I found really helpful in preparing for birth after so having a very difficult time was um, going to visit the labour ward again. Did you go back? Yeah, because I just thought I don't want the first time for me to go back to be either when I'm having 
the baby or if I, you know, if I'm anxious and I'm going for a check, I don't know whether I'm going to be very traumatised by this. So it's really important for me to prepare and have visits and kind of desensitise myself to that environment again. That's a really good idea. And is that something you just arranged through the hospital? I just did it with my midwife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was lucky that I had um, a caseloading midwife. Yeah. Yeah. I did that through her. I always um, advise women who've had any traumatic um, birth to make sure they have like a proper debrief. Mm. Um, any hospital offers it. You just can contact pals or your midwife if you're mm. still in contact with them and then they can pull your notes and you can actually sit down with a midwife or an obstetrician and go through your notes and actually mm. see what happened and also understanding why. I think yeah. when something quite traumatic like this birth she's described happens, sometimes time can be very mm, blurred in your yeah. memory and actually when it's written out in our notes because they're so detailed yeah. I think sometimes that can be quite helpful that sounds really good yeah I would say especially if you've done the things that Michelle and I recommended really writing out um, a detailed kind of well I call them birth preferences yeah things like if my baby for whatever reason needs to be taken away from me to have additional support with breathing please communicate that with yeah, me yeah I think a lot of the time it's down to communication when women yeah. aren't explained and told what's happening at the time by any health professional in the room it's really it's scary. So scary for yeah me. yeah definitely I think also I, I guess it's important to flag up about kind of perinatal mental health services you might be able to offer some support in relation to seeing if there is kind of any sort of trauma there and do you need some um, psychological support to work through that and just uh, what kind of strategies might be helpful in terms of managing anxiety because whilst I wasn't so anxious necessarily for birth I was very anxious about well, everything else yeah. so it's really important that I did some work around yeah, managing my anxiety as much as I could whilst mm-hmm. also acknowledging that it's going to be there I mean there are people who can support you around kind of your sort of mental health and well-being yeah. in pregnancy Thanks Michelle it's really interesting to have your input and thank you um, so much to our listener for writing in if you have a question you'd like me on the podcast um, to try and answer please email birthstoriespodcast at gmail.com Michelle, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having and me. And telling us um, about your birth and sharing um, your story about Orla. Um, how can people find out more about you? I mean, there's the, probably the easiest way is through my um, blog and my Instagram, which is from the other chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then kind of work-wise, my company's called Talking Heads. We do have an Instagram page, but actually it's probably easier just to look up our website, which mm-hmm. is uh, talkingheads.org.uk. And that's just got some information on there about mental health and different types of therapies um, and where to access help if you um, were looking for it. Thank you for listening to Birth Stories with me, Clemmie Hooper. Remember to subscribe on your favourite podcast app so that you can listen as soon as the podcast comes out each week. And please rate it and leave a review if you have time. You can find more Birth Stories on my blog, Gas and Air, and you can find me on Instagram at Mother of Daughters. Birth Stories was produced by Hannah Varrell and created by Offscript. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 